Welcome to another episode of Global Data Pod. I'm your host, Nora Santivani, and today I'm joined by my colleagues from the Latin America Economic Research Team, headed up by Cassiana Fernandez, who's also Chief Economist for Brazil, Gabriel Lozano, Chief Economist for Mexico and Central America, and Diego Pereira, Chief Economist for Southern Cone and Andeans. Welcome. In today's uh, research wrap, we are going to talk about Latin America's monetary policy easing cycles that have already started in earnest. And so far, uh, central banks have been bolder than anticipated. Um, of course, Chile kicked off with a larger than expected 100 basis point cut. Then we got Brazil Copom also cut more than expected by 50, although that was a closer call. And then others in the region are still thinking about it. They're sounding a bit more cautious, but we expect him to join in in coming months. So Cassiana, why don't we start with you? Uh, the case for rate cuts in the region has been building for some time. And, and, and you know, markets have been pricing this in for a while, even as DM central banks continue to tighten. Uh, what has really convinced, do you think, Latin America central banks to finally pull the trigger? Why now? And in particular, what I'm curious to hear from you is how much of this easing do you think is about Latin America's domestic fundamentals versus the more benign external environment, right? That's increasingly supportive of risk assets. Oh, perfect. Thank you very much, Nora. And thank you for organizing this. Uh, so I think that, I mean, we have been saying for a while, the region is definitely reaping the benefits of having joining the tightening cycle early on uh, in already in 2021. And I mean, if you look at uh, the last quarters bearing uh, very high inflation, uh, most of the Latin central banks, they have built uh, an important buffer against um, moderate external shocks, as, as you mentioned out, I mean, uh, in form of very high real rates. Uh, and we also see that many domestic economies do show signals of weakness. Uh, when we look at uh, headline and core CPI, I think that uh, in general, we can say there was an important uh, deceleration. We started the year uh, of an average of 7% uh, inflation uh, across the region. Uh, now, uh, those numbers are closer below 5%. Uh, and we do see uh, an important disinflation trend. I think that's definitely uh, the countries defer uh, in the pace of this disinflation uh, and the scope of the disinflation. I mean, uh, there was an important uh, decrease in uh, food inflation uh, in most of the countries. I think that uh, was the first uh, important driver. We did see also core goods coming down more aggressively mm -hmm. uh, lately. Uh, core services definitely lagging behind, but already some early signs of improvement also in core service inflation uh, in some of the countries. Uh, another uh, important point is regarding activity, and then we can definitely uh, discuss this uh, more in depth on each countries. I would say that in one side, you do have uh, early signs of a more significant deceleration activity coming from Chile, domestic activity. Uh, Mexico would be uh, on the opposite side. Uh, Brazil 
uh, I think that there are more uncertainty uh, regarding that uh, because of the upside surprise uh, in GDP. But uh, when you look at the domestic drivers, we do see um, some uh, deceleration on that. So I think that when, when we look at the scope, it's not just external factors, not just uh, the normalization of supply chains. Uh, we do see uh, an important disinflation across uh, the countries and the high real rates have opened room for the start of the easing. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So I was going to say that the, it sounds like the case is in part um, to, to a large extent predicated on the very high real interest rate buffer that LATAMs have, uh, which is what around 5%, right? Um, and then on top of that, you've had quite significant appreciation of some of the currencies, which is also tightening monetary conditions. So by all accounts, monetary conditions look quite tight. I guess this then leads us to the question of how much easing is there in the pipeline? Um, and here, I guess we need to talk a little about, about both speed and level. Uh, the markets are pricing in a quite front-loaded easing, also a deeper easing cycle overall, um, especially in Chile and Brazil than where uh, forecasting um, what are your thoughts around um, this what are, what's the sort of risk assessment in your view around this pricing and where do we end up with with terminal rates in, in LATAM is it fair to say that we're probably not going to get all the way back to where we were um, before the pandemic and I guess um, where inflation settles will be a big part of that <laughs> question yes, I mean, there are a, a lot of important drivers to define this question this is our day-to-day -day, uh, discussion among ourselves. Uh, in my view, I mean, the extent of the easing cycle will depend on several factors. I think that first one will be exactly the level uh, of the policy rates, how restrictive monetary policies actually are. Uh, we do see, I mean, Brazil and Chile before the easing uh, did stood out in terms when we look, when we compare uh, exempt real rates. Uh, then, uh, as I said, the stage of the economy, uh, the level of output gap, uh, labor markets, uh, among the bigger economies, um, Chile does stand out one, one side, Mexico on the other. Uh, when we look at uh, Brazil, I think that there are more divergence, uh, especially very tight labor market, but weaker uh, readings on the domestic activity. Uh, and then uh, the speed and the extent of the disinflation uh, process. Uh, we started, uh, I mean, back uh, at some point last year, uh, inflation were around above 10%. Uh, now numbers on average around 6 to 5%, uh, the headline inflation, uh, much more modest uh, on core, in particular uh, core services. Uh, and uh, I would also pay a lot of attention credibility of the central banks. Uh, they do defer, and that for me is the role uh, of inflation expectations. Uh, have inflation expectations converge back uh, to the midpoint of the central bank targets or not, uh, that will be uh, an important driver. Uh, and uh, the role of fiscal policy man management, loser the fiscal policy, 
tighter should be the monetary policy and that would be a whole discussion for a new uh, podcast uh, i'm not going to go into the details of that uh, also uh, the global outlook uh, and then commodity prices i'm sure uh, food inflation especially with all the concerns or and uh, may play an important role here uh, but i would uh, pay a little bit more attention in terms of the global rates. Uh, and I mean, it's interesting that this changing policy rates uh, in Latin is happening, even if, of course, central banks are still uh, on a tightening mode. Uh, to be fair, it has happened before. In 2017, many of the central banks in the region were easing uh, despite the Fed was tightening. Uh, but uh, in my view, I mean, uh, is that even if the central banks are in the region are cutting with Fed tightening, I personally much more skeptical that we can sustainably go back uh, to the previous levels uh, with Fed funds uh, at five or above. I definitely, I think that's uh, what happens with the facts in the region uh, will play a role on how much more uh, each of the central banks can go. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say, and that I mean, uh, goes with our view, specific on Brazil, that uh, you end the, the easing cycle with rates into a restrictive level. Yeah, I think that's a key message I'm getting when I look at your own forecast, um, for example, for core inflation through end of next year. Uh, there's significant disinflation, but ultimately you are settling on average for the region, something like 50 basis points above uh, central bank targets. There's a couple that get down quite close, but then there's a few which um, settle higher. So maybe this is a good segue to go into some of the more um, country level discussions. And maybe we could start with Chile here because they were the first ones obviously to start uh, easing. So Diego, uh, what has allowed Chile to be the first one to cut here and, and, and to cut so aggressively? What sets them apart in terms of their business cycle or um, what are your thoughts in terms of the outlook from here as well? Uh, sure. So in the case of Chile, we come in from a very particular situation, 2021, particular 2022, an extremely overheated economy on the back of a combination of uh, ex expansive fiscal policy compounded with a uh, uh, a hefty income for um, for households on the back of the pension fund withdrawals for almost 20, 25% of GDP. Okay, so uh, so that combination led the economy to an overheated, clear overheated situation at a time in which tradable inflation was also going higher and the currency was depreciating in real terms. No, uh, uh, so this combination basically drove inflation to peak headline now around 14% by August last year, and since the, third, the, the second quarter, 2022, I mean, the adjustment started to, to, to unfold, in particular uh, on the fiscal side. There was a strong fiscal consolidation effort, uh, and obviously, I mean, the effects of um, um, the increase to disposable income coming from the pension fund withdrawals started to ebb. Uh, and therefore, if you look at in sequential terms, Chile activity contracted almost permanently since the second quarter 2022 onwards. So that has allowed mm -hmm. the outcome to close almost to zero. This inflation to transpire, obviously, uh, associated also to external factors and to acceleration in food prices, the currency appreciated, and the real rate 
that the uh, Central Bank of Chile offered started to uh, move higher by real rate. I mean, inflated mm -hmm. like the next 12 month inflation expectations because the 12 month inflation expectations also started to move lower. And, uh, and that combination of factors, actually, we have, been, we have said, I mean, you know, starting second quarter of the year, uh, uh, the Central Bank of Chile has the ability to start trimming the nominal policy rate. Why? Because the combination of lower inflation expectations and stable nominal policy rate was not doing nothing more than increasing the real rate, the exam. Yeah. And, uh, and that has exactly what, what happened. And actually, uh, when you look at the drop in the next 12 month inflation expectations in the last survey was for 50 basis points on the margin. And that, in my view, was a determinated factor that uh, uh, drove the board of the central bank to lower the policy rate by 100 basis points and not the 75 that were kind of consensus. So of these factors, I mean, I said, uh, uh, the cyclical adjustment, the external adjustment, uh, um, and the fiscal adjustment already play out. It's true, the real rate still very high, north of 6.5%. Uh, uh, for an economy with relatively low, low re fiscal risk as Chile is, is, is very high. Uh, this inflation will continue, um, but what we are uh, seeing is less ability or less of an ability, yes, of the central bank to front load this in cycle vis-a-vis -vis what the market is pricing. We have the policy rate converging to seven and three quarters by the year end. Mm -hmm. The market is pricing a little bit more aggressive is in cycle, and then we have the terminal rate currently in between four and a quarter and, and, and 4.5%, given the recent changes to our um, to our global uh, narrative, this may have a little bit of an upside risk. Uh, but in any case, the point is that, yes, inflate, this inflation will continue, but in line with what uh, you guys were discussing in the, in the intro, I'm of the idea that trend-wise speaking, inflation in Chile Will, will, will prove to be a little bit higher than what the country has accustomed us uh, prior to the social unrest and then COVID, meaning uh, having a higher uh, pressure coming from services. And therefore, trend-wise speaking, let's say, for, 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 for the next two years, five years ahead, uh, uh, I think that inflation will be closer to 4% than below the 3% that we have um, seen for Chile. Okay, per perfect. Thank you. Uh, I mean, Castian, it sounds like there are quite a few common threats here between Chile and Brazil, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I, in particular, I, I thought this idea of the fiscal policy and other policies during the pandemic might have played a role, right, in terms of pushing um, uh, the central bank into this quite strong policy response. Once inflation picked up, they had little option but to hike rates quite aggressively. And so now we're seeing the, the flip side of that in this, this easing cycle. Is that, like, is that a fair assessment for Brazil? Is that how you're viewing the parallels? No, definitely. There are a lot of uh, important parallels and contrasts among the countries uh, in the region. Uh, Brazil joined Chile being very aggressive uh, on the policy response during the COVID uh, in terms of fiscal policy and also monetary policy easing. We did test uh, nominal levels that were never seen uh, before in the country, the 2% uh, nominal rates. And then 
we also saw a rapid response in terms of inflation. That's led the Central Bank of Brazil to be the first one to start hiking rates back in 2021 and hiked a lot. Um, so we went from 2% nominal rates to 13.75%. Uh, that level of rates, when we look uh, at uh, activity and even the speed of the disinflation, I think helped a lot last year uh, in terms of some uh, tax cuts uh, in uh, to see the disinflation headline, but this year more uh, in terms of food and good disinflation. And we did see uh, inflation coming down from above 12% back in April last year uh, to uh, midpoint of the target 3.2% uh, uh, that we have now. Uh, I mean, uh, this is not uh, the level that actually uh, the underlying inflation is going. A lot here had to do with some headline uh, one-off uh, factors in terms of food, in terms of energy, in terms of tax cuts. Uh, but still, uh, when we look at real rates exactly the level, does seem to allow uh, the central bank already uh, to start easing. I think that's another uh, interesting comparison with Chile is the stage of the economy. Although we do see some uh, signals that activity is weakening, uh, especially domestic demand. Uh, in the case of Brazil, uh, when we look at the labor markets, it's still very tight. Unemployment rates are mm. at low levels. Also, uh, another discussion is regarding the credibility uh, of the policy mix. Uh, we did see a spike in inflation expectations across the curve, even medium to long term. Uh, and now inflation expectations above the midpoint uh, of the central bank targets uh, for the next years. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we believe that at the end would require tighter monetary policy. Mm -hmm. And the discussion, the uncertainty around fiscal. Uh, and that's still a huge question mark. Uh, if we are right uh, on our view that activity will continue to decelerate domestic demand, uh, we definitely will see more pressure to increase uh, fiscal spending at some point, and that can be uh, a constraint uh, for the central bank on how much more uh, they can do in terms of monetary policies. So I think that there are these interesting uh, contrasts, especially when we compare with the country that did the least uh, in terms uh, of uh, expansionary policies uh, during the COVID, there is Mexico. There we go. And that's a segue for you, uh, Gabriel. Thank you, Cassiano. So let's turn to Mexico here and clearly the, the, the divergence of the policy response between Mexico and the others in that time is, is really quite striking. Um, so what's driving this divergence? Um, I suppose fiscal mm. policy differences in the way they were pursued during the pandemic probably has a lot to do with it. But where, where, does, where does Mexico stand now? And from what you're writing, it feels to me that the risk in Mexico, if anything, is that the easing cycle could get delayed. Absolutely. No, thank you, Nora. I appreciate that. Um, and, and, and I think that all this background discussion about 
what has been going on in South America and what you mentioned about uh, the risks uh, related to the global environment suggests that for Mexico, the story is, is particularly different. And, and yes, we should emphasize that Mexico has been different in the approach to policymaking during the pandemic. Mexico was able to deliver better and more resilient fiscal figures precisely because of their modest uh, support during the pandemic. But then a combination of factors related to fiscal stimulus in the US, the remittance slows, the way in which consumption overall has been evolving suggests that uh, overheating is occurring in Mexico. And this overheating is delivering better growth, but at the same time is uh, resulting in inflation not moving slower uh, or faster to the downside as originally expected. Mm -hmm. So Banxico has been revising to the downside marginally only and mostly given non-core inflation dynamics. I think that that is very important. The way in which energy prices move down, the way, the way in which raw food prices move down allowed Banxico to uh, be more confident that overall headline inflation is moving lower, but core inflation is only grinding very slowly. And this is precisely related to the pressures on the services angle. And also given that goods inflation is starting to deliver some uh, concerning uncomfortable news in the way in which they are starting to stabilize. Um, so in that context, I think that that's why we uh, agree with what you mentioned about the potentially uh, the risk being for uh, high for long or delaying mm -hmm. uh, the cuts, uh, which is to do with uh, economic dynamics, with the way in which growth has been revised to the upside. But at the same time, the fact that these uh, inflation revisions to the downside have been very modest. And this has also resulted in inflation expectations um, uh, remaining high and some uh, metrics and some gauges. I think that if we revise the mid and long-term expectations, some of them are starting to converge to the long-term uh, levels, but at the same time, there are some kinks in some of them, suggesting that their uh, credibility of the central bank is not necessarily anchored and that they still need to send a strong message about their commitment with inflation in, in, in this broadly, broad, broader context. But one final word is related to the Fed and is related to what could happen with actions from uh, the most important uh, reference in terms of central banking for Mexico. Uh, and, and that makes Mexico and Banxico very different from the rest of Latin, which is the strong ties to the US. And this is strong ties to the US, even if Banxico do, doesn't want to be that emphatic about the, the, the coupling with the Fed, they need to emphasize that to some extent, that relative conditions and the way in which the Fed hikes or not, no hikes might affect certain assets that might affect inflation expectations and inflation dynamics. And uh, by this, I mean the exchange rate, something that will be relevant going forward. All right. So then going into the Banjico meeting uh, this Thursday, it sounds like you think they're going to send a message that they're not in a rush to, to start cutting here and it's going to sound pretty cautious, right? Yeah, I mean, probably there are arguments for them to turn less hawkish or gradually moving towards a neutral territory, which in our view would be consistent with this uh, steady as it goes uh, in the context of, of modest revision to the downside on inflation. Probably they will revise uh, headline inflation one-tenth from 4.6% uh, to 4.5% by year-end. Uh, the main difference with us is that we have 4.2%, precisely on the back of these non-core inflation dynamics. Uh, but as things stand for core inflation, which is expected at 5%, and we agree with that 5% by year end, suggests that they will continue to emphasize that there are upside risks to inflation in this context of overheating and uh, global conditions for uh, no recession and a scenario in which the U.S. growth is better than originally expected. Mm -hmm. Uh, another important point to stress is that they have been very emphatic about the extended period of time in which they will 
keep rates mm -hmm. on hold. Uh, at some point, there were some there was some guidance from board members suggesting that this extended period of time that was first mentioned in May referred to two to three meetings, which meant that at the very least they would be on hold until the end of the year. And we had February as the first meeting with, in which they would start easing rates. Uh, then the rhetoric changed and turned a little bit more uh, guide, uh, more guidance in the direction of maybe doing something earlier in November and December. And that, along with our downward revisions to inflation, suggested that they, they would start in November. Now, with this renewed um, rhetoric and the narrative uh, in terms of cautiousness, being more prudent, more vigilant, suggests that they are not in a rush. And I think all this discussion about economic activity validates that point. No? Yes, absolutely. Okay, super. So uh, I'm mindful of time here, maybe before we start wrapping up a few words on Colombia and Peru, uh, Diego, especially in terms of how they fit into the regional picture in terms of their business cycles, domestic demand conditions. Uh, you've got them easing um, before Mexico, but obviously somewhere in the middle relative to Chile and Brazil a bit later. Uh, the, 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 these are uh, as Katina said, no, every country has its own specifics. Uh, in a nutshell, I would say Colombia is a country in which expansive fiscal policy is not helping and has not helped um, the disinflation. We are seeing some disinflation, in particular on food prices, but if you look at core, it continues to be pretty high. Uh, yet the central bank is trying to do the work um, mainly on its own, and, uh, and the real policy rate is very high, it's approaching 7%. Uh, so for this uh, third quarter of the year and waiting for July inflation uh, uh, later today, uh, uh, I do pencil in further deceleration in headline on the back of food and uh, coal prices to start decelerating. Uh, that would allow the central bank to prevent additional real tightening because inflation expectations are moving lower uh, and therefore open the door for easing, not to trim the, the nominal policy rate in line basically with discussion we have had for the other countries. And, uh, and therefore, if you have the policy rate, uh, the central bank starting to ease in October, the market seems September maybe a, a little bit more likely, let's see. Uh, for the time being, my base case scenario is October and I have the policy rate converging, nominal policy rate converging to uh, 11 and three quarters uh, by the year end. Terminal rate for the cycle, unless some major surprise, I think is going to be just a tad below 8%. I think the neutral rate is, should be higher uh, uh, than one central bank is entertaining. I have it closer to 3%. The central bank believes it's closer to 2%. And Nino is a major risk for the end of this year and in particular for next year, uh, given the seasonality of inflation in Colombia. The major risk, the good news is that at the margin, the NOAA has uh, uh, change the base case for a moderate linear rather than an intense linear. Uh, but let's see, as you know, it's a very nonlinear uh, uh, phenomena. Uh, a major uncertainty in the case of Colombia, upside risk for food inflation and electricity prices. Uh, Peru is on the other side, completely on the other side. Peru, Peru delivered a tremendous fiscal adjustment, a, a, a stronger fiscal adjustment, strictly speaking, than Chile. Uh, in Peru, we have not seen any excess demand. All the inflation in Peru has been supply side, yet the central bank has been cautious. Uh, uh, um, they has maintained the policy rate stable as a headline inflation core and, uh, and inflation expectations move lower. Uh, base case is uh, for the central bank to start trimming the nominal policy rate in September. Um, um, but again, it is a central bank that has proved 
more conscious uh, uh, given the supply demand uh, uh, factors explaining inflation, uh, likely because it's a semi-dollarized economy on the financial side. So I guess they are more cautious on, on, on this front. Okay, in terms of um, the message I'm getting from all of you is that there's a risk of more front-loaded easing cycles, but this inflation needs to continue at a steady pace for that to happen. Uh, El Nino risks need to remain contained. Um, and on the terminal rates, we're still ending up with modestly restrictive stances, uh, despite the significant easing uh, that we have in the forecast and, and what markets are also pricing. Can I just ask each of you, and we're going to end on this, your one year ahead policy rate forecast, do you see upside or downside risks to it? Let me start with Brazil. Uh, we do have a terminal rate at 10% uh, from where we stand. I do believe there are more downside risks to that level in one year than upside. Okay, Mexico? Yeah, I mean, there are uh, important risks for rates uh, remain higher for longer, so probably less, uh, less, less cuts and uh, probably intermittent actions, depending on how growth mm -hmm. evolves. And of course, the ex-ante policy rate that uh, also Diego mentioned for his countries. And Diego, for you? That's a tricky question. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would say, no, for Chile, I already commented an uh, upside risk for the yeah. terminal rate uh, For Peru, likely downside. And for Colombia, I would say uh, upside. Um, but uh, as you know, it will depend a lot of potential. Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it highlights that despite this whole region easing substantially in our forecast, there are important divergences and also in terms of the risk um, biases around these views. Okay, so let's end there. Thank you, uh, all of you, for joining me. Um, that was a very interesting discussion. And thank you to our uh, listeners for tuning into the Global Data Pod. We hope to continue the conversation on the next episode.